And so that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> that is terrible, but can we just do the podcast, please? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Welcome back, everybody, to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for part two of our Gremlins versus Ghostbuster episode in our series of 1984. And we are ready to jump back into these two movies. That's fantastic. Let's dive in. I want to talk about a couple of the problems that these two movies pose, okay? Okay. So let's let's talk about Gremlins and the rules, okay? Okay. So for those of you who are familiar with the movie Gremlins, there's three rules that you can't break when it comes to Gremlins, right? Right. Number one, they hate bright light. Right. Number two, don't get them wet. Can't give them any water. Don't even let them drink water. Right. And number three, never ever let them eat after midnight. Right. Okay. So the the darkness thing, the, the the bright light thing, actually was kind of a technical thing. When you have practical special effects, you have to hide the wires and the and the pumps and the guys who are operating the puppetry and stuff like that. So if you keep things in the dark, it makes it much easier to hide those things. And it also creates a pretty cool ending to the movie. It does. Yeah. It does. It's very similar to the end of Bright Night, a movie that we've already talked about. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the bright light thing, we get that. Hiding the effects, hiding the wires, hiding the puppetry, all that stuff. All right. Okay, let's talk about water. Can't get them wet. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, the Mogwai, when they're, you know, wild and on the prairie in <laughs> Africa or whatever, <laughs> when it rains, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. There's something, maybe they're from outer space. Well, that was like, there was a book that was done that said that was, that said they were from outer space, but I think Joe Dante said, no, that's not canon. We're no. not, no, I don't like that idea. They're not tribbles? They're, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> James T. Kirk, they are not tribbles. Okay. So the water thing is a little bit weird, but if you get them wet, they multiply, right? Like exponentially right. multiply. Right. But um, somehow they drink. They drink beer. Yeah. And uh, there's no water in beer? No, there's a lot of water in beer. Maybe alcohol counteracts the yeah. effects of the water? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. The, the rules are problematic. Don't overthink it. Okay. <laughs> Rule number three yes. is the most problematic, though. Right. Okay. Because it's always five o'clock. I mean, midnight somewhere. That's right. right. It is. So what are we doing here? This and of course, midnight. I mean, right. So Zach Galligan was one of the first ones to point out. He's like, well, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's always midnight somewhere. I mean, what is that? How does that even make sense? And so then in Gremlins two, they totally use that line, and that becomes a, a kind of a sticking point. It is kind of making fun of itself the whole time. Right. This is what kills me about Gremlins. And and first of all, Gremlins is a fun movie. I enjoy it. Yeah. All that stuff. But the dad, first of all, he obtains the Mogwai in kind of illegal means, right? <laughs> it's, uh, the the grandson sells it from outside. It's literally his. a back alley of a back alley deal. <laughs> <laughs> and they just kind of brush through the rules. And thankfully, Hoyt Axton's character takes the rules seriously. Most dads in America be like, Oh, crap. I can't even remember what they told me. <laughs> right. Don't feed them water. <laughs> they can't eat pizza. <laughs> but he takes it home, gives it to Billy, and Billy promptly breaks all three of the rules in like yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. instantly. Somebody unplugged the clock, you know? No matter how much they cry, don't feed them after midnight. Yeah. Well, that sounds like my kids. And he's like, it's 1135. Uh, it's it's not enough. technically midnight, so. Yeah. 
Okay, so here's some interesting things, right? Okay, right. This is the first movie that had the Amblin Entertainment logo on the on-screen appearance. Oh, okay. Right? They had originally, you had mentioned this last episode, they had planned to have this released in December because it was a Christmas movie, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Questionable. Is it a Christmas movie? Heck yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, okay. So moved the release up because they didn't have anything to compete with Ghostbusters or Temple of Doom. And so it got moved up to June. Now, when they filmed this thing, they filmed it in August in Burbank, California. Really? So Billy's out there in like a car shirt, a sweater, and a winter coat in 100 degree heat. That's fascinating. Yeah. So all of the snow on the ground is just salt. (laughs) <laughs> it's all Hollywood magic. Wow, baby. that is cool. Yeah. That is cool. Chris Wallace is the one who did the special effects, which we'll talk about more here in a bit. But he was the one that said, uh, let's do puppets instead of stop animation. Like he, they were going to do stop animation, right? Okay. And so Joe Dante says, how about instead of that, we use spider monkeys? <laughs> Great idea, right? Let's right. do it. So what happens? So they put the spider monkey in a gremlin outfit, <laughs> and the monkey panics and is like running around destroying the set and crapping everywhere. Right. And so <laughs> and so they like yell at the trainer, like, get it out of here, get it out of here. And get the finally get the monkey out of there, and Joe Dante turns to Chris Wallace and goes, So puppets? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So this is way before CGI. Oh yeah. So each one effects, this yeah. is all practical effects. So each one of those gremlins costume or gremlins puppet slash yeah. things yes. is like thirty thousand bucks. Yeah. Security had to check people's cars at the end of shooting every day <laughs> to make sure that nobody was stealing one of the cute or ugly little gremlin guys. Okay. So you and I talked about this. For me, this movie was a horror movie. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's super creepy. When they make the little cocoon. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's very alien. It's like alien, It's very right? alien, yeah. And or Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. And they they hatch, and they're kind of dark, and you hear them kind of giggling. They're off screen. And I mean, it's scary, right? When they attack the mother in the kitchen, man, I'm like, whoa, she's really in danger. These things are dangerous, going crazy. And then the whole movie makes a right turn into the Muppet Show. The, the guys, the gremlins themselves, go from just being monsters to being parodies of people. Like, they're the worst parts of people. And Chris Wallace said that was when he and his crew finally got it, that this is a parody of people. Okay. Which is kind of funny because apparently after they filmed the movie, they got a note from the studio that said, I think there's too many gremlins. And so Spielberg sent a note back and said, maybe we'll just take them all out and just call it people. (laughs) (laughs) The scene where they're Christmas caroling and they've got little miniature stockings and miniature scarves and then miniature carol books and then they're breakdancing. Yeah. All that stuff is really crazy to me. Let's talk about the the special effects since we're here anyway. Let's talk about the special effects. Okay. So the creatures were originally, they were based on drawings that Chris Columbus had done. Okay. Because we I mentioned before he and Joe Don Artist wanted to be cartoonists. So he had drawn what he wanted the creatures to look like. Gizmo ends up being colored after Steven Spielberg's dog. It was a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. And so the coloring of Gizmo is based upon Spielberg's 
dog. And apparently he was driving Wallace crazy because he kept changing how he wanted the, right. wanted Gizmo to look, you know, like, oh, he's going to be all brown. Oh, no, no. I want him to have the colors of my dog. Oh, his ears, he need to have no hair on them, you know. And so that was pretty frustrating. But Chris Wallace is the special effects guy who ends up creating all this. He had worked with Joe Dante on Piranha. He had also worked on Airplane with Mike Fennell. And so here's an interesting fact about Chris Wallace. You ready for this one? Yes. Get ready for your mind to be blown. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) He was the guy who made the melting heads in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, nice. Yeah. The Nazi, all of that head exploding stuff with Ronald Lacey, Wolf Collar, and Paul Freeman. He was the guy who had done that. And both he and Richard Edlund, who was doing the effects for Ghostbusters at this time, had worked on both Raiders and Return of the Jedi. That's awesome. And in the end of the movie, when Stripe falls into the fountain and he's getting ready, he's bubbling up, he's getting ready to start duplicating, and then Gizmo opens the window and the sunlight pours in and he he melts into that skeleton thing, and you get that jump scare at the end. All that's scary. So there's that pocket in the middle where it turns into Looney Tunes, but... It's still yeah. It, there's a there's a good scene at the very end, and the effects are great. Yeah. So the uh, some of the scenes they just came up with at the time, like they had actually gotten all of the stuff for a department store when they go to that department store, and Zach Galligan sees some chainsaws over there. He starts talking to the props guy, the special effects guys, and he's like, "Wouldn't it be great if they like they had a chainsaw and I had a bat and we were like fighting with other." Now the scene is in the movie. It's scary. Now here's a scene that was not in the movie that they filmed. Yes. The end where Gizmo comes and pulls the shade and the light comes in, they've shot it where Billy is the one that saves the day. Like he, it's the diehard ending where he comes in and does that big jump and, and he had no idea that they changed it until he watched the movie for the first time. And he's with Joe Dante and he's like, obviously is shocked. His feelings are hurt a little bit. And he's like, "Uh, I thought I was supposed to be the hero at the end of this movie. And Joe Dante just goes, the movie is called Gremlins. Yeah. Sorry, we wanted the Ewok to win at the end. (laughs) Okay, I already quoted it. Let's talk about the Sarah story. Okay. This is probably the most controversial part of the whole movie. I was young when I saw it, and that was a shocking scene to me. I was just like, oh, wow. I had forgotten about this. I I had to stop the movie and rewind it. I'm like, did she really just say what I thought she said? Right, yeah. I I was talking to Arlen on this, and I was telling him, we're doing Gremlins, and he's got his his 10-year-old in the back, and he's like, Gremlins! And he's like, that, 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 that. And he's like, so you can see we let our kids watch totally inappropriate movies. <laughs> and we're talking, and all of a sudden, he's like, taking it off speakerphone real quick. Uh, yeah, we haven't let him watch the Santa Claus speech because he may still believe in Santa Claus. I was like, oh, I almost said the line. So I'm really glad you said something. That speech is crazy. Number one, because parents were super pissed that they gave away the Santa Claus secret. Right. And you have this horrible death. Phoebe Cates talks about how Christmas is a terrible time of year because while some people are opening presents, other people are opening their wrists. Yes. I'm like, what? So it's like, yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, that, that whole bit. So, but here's what's interesting, right? This is a horror comedy, which doesn't go together, right? That doesn't really go together until they start doing these two movies that we're talking about. And Joe Dante was really playing off that kind of, you listen to this thing. If you were to read this, if you were to read this on a piece of paper, you go, 
this is ridiculous. What is this about? <laughs> this is ridiculous. But then when Phoebe Cates delivers it, it's real. I mean, she sells it as a true event that happened in her life. And you're like, am I watching a comedy or a horror movie? Or what is this? And that was that confusion, that weirdness of these two things rubbing against each other that he wanted to capture in that speech. So even though the studio said, take it out, even though Spielberg said, take it out, Joe Dante said, it's staying in the movie. All right. If you got kids in the car listening, you might want to uh, fast forward past this part just a little bit, especially if they're in the Christmas Santa Claus uh, era. But uh, Phoebe Cates talks about how her dad goes missing. They can't find him. Pretty soon they start to smell something. Notices the smell. They start to smell something. And they find out later that her dad was going to do this Santa Claus thing where he came down the chimney and he got stuck and he died in their chimney. What? Right. It's absurd. That's why it's absurd, right? I mean, chimneys are not made for people. We all know this. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And the studio's like, take it out. Joe Dante's like, nope. Spielberg's like, I don't really like this, but if you want to leave it in, I guess you can leave it in. So it's in there. Most One of the most memorable parts of the whole movie, though. It is. Right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about memorable lines, Ghostbusters have more. But oh, yeah. of the memorable lines in this movie, and so that's how I found out there's no Santa Claus, top of the list. Man, if I'm, if I'm a parent in 84, oh, I'm yeah. upset. Yeah. Okay, continuing on with special effects, right? Okay. Yeah, sure. Billy had to wear wires up his pant legs when he was holding on to Gizmo because like, it's in his hands, right? <laughs> so, yes. so they've got to be able to control it while he's holding it. And so these wires would be running up his pant leg. He wouldn't be able to move around on the set and he'd be holding it. And then they'd switch it out. Like you'll notice this as you watch the movie, he'll set it down. And when he sets Gizmo down, he sets him down off screen. And then the camera pans over and Gizmo's sitting on the table. Well, that's an entirely different Gizmo. Nice. Oh, and here's another thing. They had to have several Gizmos and the, faces would come off like because the happy gizmo had a different face than the sad or the scared gizmo so they had to peel the face off of gizmo as the movie went through that's that's fantastic that's amazing did you know that gizmo was the inspiration for the furby oh yeah i can totally see that. yeah right oh, yeah for sure okay so let's flip back to ghostbusters let's talk about some of the special effects in the production of ghostbusters i collect spores molds and fungus Right. Well, as we mentioned before, Richard Edlund was the guy who had come over from ILM, had started their own special effects company called Boss Films, later would go on to do Fright Night. But one of the guys that came along with them from ILM was Steve Johnson, who we talked about in the Fright Night Night episode. Right. He's the guy who was happy that they had all the cocaine. He's the guy who caught his tennis shoes on fire when he melted the big scary bat at the end. But he was the guy who was responsible for Slimer, who didn't have the name Slimer at the time, but we know who that is, right? They called him Onion Head. Yeah, Onion Head, right. (laughs) And so he was the guy who was responsible for making Slimer, Onion Head. Yes. Yeah, this is one of the things, so watching the behind the scenes stuff that I never realized when you see Slimer's back, he has butt cheeks. <laughs> He's got a giant booty. He's, I didn't even know that. Like, he had a booty-licious booty. I never really get a good look at <laughs> Slimer's butt in the movie. Yeah. So, 
But they did a lot of practical effects for, for Ghostbusters as well. I thought this was cool. The scene with the librarian where the, what is it, the, uh, the Dewey Decimal cards open and start flying out. Yeah. There's guys hiding behind the wall shooting like air like through a straw to make the cards fly out. Right. And the books that are floating in the library, those are all done by wires. What about the stack books? You're right. No human, <laughs> no human being, being stack books like this. <laughs> but during production, one of the things that made Ivan Reitman the most uncomfortable, yeah. like the biggest chance of the entire movie, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah. He was not convinced that that would work. Well. So when they put it together, I thought this was super interesting. So, but when they had finally put together kind of the basic outline of the movie, they showed it to a test audience in March of 84. Yeah. They hate this. I like to torture them. That's right, boys. It's Dr. Venkman. They showed the scene when Dana goes to her refrigerator and she opens it up and there's Zool, right? Yeah. But that effect wasn't ready yet. It just had this big blank screen that said special effect insert. Right. And of course, Gordy Weaver screams and slams the door shut. He said the audience screamed. They couldn't see anything. There's right. just a stupid panel up there. Right. But he's like, man, they're really going for this. And there's, the effects aren't even in yet. Right. But the biggest leap in reality, the thing that worried him the most was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Right. And when they tested it to the audience, when you see the big Stay Puft guy, there's one little effect where you see his head passing between buildings. Yes. That was ready. And yeah. so that was in that cut. Everything else was out. All right. He said the audience went bananas over that scene. <laughs> That's awesome. And he was like, this is the best screening because it put him at ease uh-huh. and he knew they had a hit. Yeah. So the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is a combination between the Michelin Tire guy, yes. the Pillsbury Doughboy, yes. and some Canadian marshmallow sailor guy that Dan Aykroyd grew up with. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought this was funny. When they were filming the earthquake scene out in front of Dana's apartment building, that's right there by Central Park. Yeah. So you had to tear up the street. Mm-hmm. They estimated that it, it jacked up 60% of traffic in Manhattan. Since you've hit this subject, these movies were released on the same day. Yes. Ghostbusters did overall better than Gremlins did, except in New York City, (laughs) because the whole city was pissed off at Ghostbusters for locking up traffic for months on end, filming all the stuff. That's hilarious. Listen, Isaac Asimov lived around that area, Uh and he came out, and Dan Aykroyd's like a huge fan. He's like, Isaac Asimov, oh my gosh. And Isaac Asimov was like, are you the reason why this is all jacked up? (laughs) And Dan's like, yes, sir. And he's like, it's disgusting. Uh, That's awesome. Okay, so you mentioned Fright Night. The librarian, like the scary librarian, you know, the scene where he's like, okay, Ray, get her. And she goes like, get her. That was your whole plan. (laughs) (laughs) They had to tone down the original effect. Because that's the scary librarian was too scary. Yeah. And so they took the scary librarian and uh-huh. it became the vampire from Fright Night later on. Yep. We talked about that in a Fright Night episode. Yeah. Cool. So a big part of the special effects on this thing come from the set design, right? This movie, the set designer was John DeKerr. We mentioned last episode that we were one of the number one film podcasts in Brunei. Brunei, yes. We're we're in the charts in other places. One of the other podcasts that's in the charts repeatedly is a podcast called Based on a True Story. 
Yeah. As it turns out, Dan Lefebvre literally lives down the street from us. We, I, I looked it up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy who's also doing a charting film podcast is next door neighbors with us. And so we got to talk to him and he had interviewed the guy on Cleopatra because Cleopatra's like based on a true story, right? Right, right. And so we were talking about that. Well, John DeCure was the set designer on Cleopatra, the set designer on The King and I, the set designer on Hello, Dolly, all of which he won an Oscar for. And he's the set designer on Ghostbusters. Okay. And so that scene that you see where she opens the door and it's, that's the only thing that's cool there is that set design. I mean, it's not like there's a monster there, right? Right. It's the big doorway that you ultimately see at the end of the movie. Well, that's all John Dwyer. They changed the storyline based upon these mammoth, awesome Cleopatra, a big sets that he was designing and of course he's got the big doorway they added two stories to that building in New York City to accommodate for the big doorway into the other dimension that's incredible Ray when someone asks you if you're a god you say yes okay so there's a scene I want to talk about really quick okay, okay. so there's this weird scene where there's like this woman apparition that's hovering over Dan Aykroyd you know the scene I'm talking about? The blowjob ghost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Sorry, Sorry parents. <laughs> Sorry about yes. That. Okay. So that's in this sort of montage where they're running around the city. Where they're, where they're running around the city and they're, they're capturing ghosts and you can tell that their business is really taking off. Well, right. that scene, they were supposed to be taking place at this haunted fort. And so that was actually this whole big thing. And so that's why... Dan Aykroyd's wearing this like Civil War general costume. I just thought it was like, I'm in a dream, so I'm going to be dressed weird. (laughs) Right. I'm going to be be a sailor in this dream. (laughs) So there's a funny story about the woman ghost, okay? Okay. Her name is Kimberly Heron. She's a Playboy Uh playmate. Uh Google search. (laughs) So they had to create a foam latex, uh, some sort of costume for her. And Mm -hmm. so the, the special effects guy had to rub her down with Vaseline. We need two oil boys to grease us up before we do our special effect. But anyway, he was hesitant when he got to her chest, and she she just took both of his hands and put them right on her boobs and said, will you just get on with it? (laughs) Okay, so that makes me think, you know the scene where Dana is being attacked in her chair? Yes. In the kitchen? And you've got the gloved hand coming up out of, I'm saying gloved hand, it's supposed to be like the monster hand, right? Right. There's a guy whose hand is inside there who's taking full advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> That's I'm like, true. Did somebody say, oh, put it right on her boob? It, it really is. I'm like, I mean, he's going for it, you oh, know? Yeah, he's, he's not, he is not holding back. <laughs> hey, by the way, Kimberly Heron, just in case yeah. you may recognize that ghost, uh-huh. she's the girl in ZZ Top's legs video. Oh, wow, nice. Another Summer 84 for nice. us. Oh, that's right, yeah. Okay, Eliminator, awesome. Okay. Hey, one of the things I forgot to mention when we were talking about production of Gremlins. So the big scene at the end, Mm -hmm. all of the Gremlins go into a movie theater and they're going to watch Snow White. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of the big climactic scene at the end. And one of the reasons why they're watching Snow White is because Snow White was released in 1937 right at Christmas time. Okay. So it's kind of a throwback for old Christmas movie. Okay. Right. Now, Billy and Phoebe Cates trap them all in the movie theater and they blow it up. Right. Okay. And it's the big scene at the end. Stripe is across the street getting candy. He's got a sweet tooth or whatever. He didn't want to have to pay the movie prices. <laughs> That's right. He's sneaking in his uh, skittles. 
I thought this was funny though. So Phoebe Cates asked the explosive guy, she's like, you know, how big is this explosion going to be? And he said, well, we, we've packed it pretty good. Uh huh. And she's like, what the hell does that mean? She said it was deafening. The heat was so intense. I thought I singed my eyebrows. It blew the doors off the theater. And as you see in the film, it shattered windows on a building at Universal a mile away. Wow. <laughs> we packed it pretty good. We packed it pretty good. <laughs> you should see our first movie, Caddyshack. As long as we're throwing in extra bits on Gremlins, I'm going to say this. Do you remember at the beginning, the first scene with Lloyd Axton as he's in Chinatown, there's a car, like an old timey car that's got like its hood up and it's broken down. You know yes. what kind of car it is? That's a Gremlin. Yeah, it is. Nice. Time to talk about soundtracks? It, we, we have to talk about the soundtrack in this movie. So let's go back to Gremlins. Okay. All right. So soundtrack for Gremlins, we have Mr. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. So throwback to our Superman episode, Jerry Goldsmith was like, Jerry Goldsmith is to Richard Donner as John Williams is to Steven Spielberg. Right. 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 And so Jer Jerry Goldsmith had done the soundtrack to The Omen. He's done a ton. I mean, just the the... the list of movies is gigantic but he's the one who did the soundtrack for gremlins okay of the two soundtracks as far as like thematic music is concerned score score is okay. concerned i've got to say that gremlins is the more effective more memorable it's got that it's like an yeah it's catchy and yet scary and kind of a nightmare thing and you absolutely it's it's got it's got elements of Psycho in it, elements of Jaws in it, and still manages to tie in the kind of newer sounding synthesizer music. And uh, uh, yeah, great, great. He also had done Poltergeist, The Secret of Nim, First Blood, Twilight Zone, Mr. Mom, and then that leads him all the way up to Gremlins. That's just before he does a few episodes of Knight Rider, by the way. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, so who does the score for Ghostbusters? Score for Ghostbusters is our old friend, Mr. Elmer Bernstein. Yeah. So Elmer Bernstein has this, he has this fascination at this time with these old 19th century instruments called the Otis Martino. And that is that weird, it sounds kind of like, you know, when somebody plays the crystal, like the glasses, the wine glasses. Okay. They remember at the beginning, the very beginning of the movie, the yeah, yeah. That's all. It's it's this instrument, which has that almost like a synthesizer sound, but it's from the 1800s, and it's but it's played on a keyboard. It's, okay. It's kind of like theremin. Nice. Still into it. Nice. I think that the theme for the Ghostbusters is very good. Right. It's memorable. Right. right? And it's playful and kind of goofy and fun. Now, on the subject of soundtracks, though, we can't just talk about the score. We have to talk.
Who you gonna call? Well, maybe you call Huey Lewis and ask permission next time. <laughs> We've kind of talked about this in our Huey Lewis episode, yeah. but they wanted Huey Lewis to do some of the songs for the soundtrack. Right. I don't want to write a song called Ghostbusters. He's like, nope, I'm out. Right? Right. Uh, so they end up with Ray Parker Jr. And they say, hey, can you come up with something? He says, okay, I'll get to work on it. He said the music came pretty quick. <laughs> He's like, but lyrically, he could not fit Ghostbusters into the song. Right. And he's up late one night. He's stressing. He's fretting. He's like, they need it. Oh, we're on this tight deadline. You know, June eighth is coming. Oh my gosh! And and he said he's up late, and it was like a like a bug commercial, like a bug exterminator. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, if you have bugs, you need to give us a call. Give us a call at this number right here, one eight hundred bug killers or whatever. And he's like, that's it. Who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And then you get this great video with all like these. TV stars. Oh my gosh! I mean, let's. Do, I mean, think about the list of people that are in video. Yeah. The video and the song Ghostbusters were nearly as big as the movie was the summer of '84. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you have cameos of Chevy Chase, Irene Cara, right. John Candy, Melissa Gilbert, Jeffrey Tambor, George Wint, Al Franken, Danny Norm. DeVito, Norm, Norm, Carly Simon, Peter Falk, Terry Gar, not to mention. You have Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Ernie Hudson, and Ernie Hudson, along with Ray Parker Jr. singing Ghostbusters. Louder. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what happens with these movies after they come out. Okay. Well, they're both gigantic successes, right? Massive hits. Massive hits. They create the careers of multiple people. Joe Dante, after this movie, goes on to do Explorers, which is the film debut of River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke. Does Inner Space. We're going to have to do this movie. It keeps coming up. I know, right? And then he does Gremlins 2, the new batch. All right. Let's talk about sequels. Okay. Which is the worst sequel, Ghostbusters 2 or Gremlins 2? I actually liked Ghostbusters 2 sequel. It wasn't as good as Ghostbusters by any means, but I kind of liked it. But it's also been about 15 years since I've seen it. I feel like if I went and watched it again, I would not like it as much. But bad guy in Ghostbusters 2, like the guy in the painting, was one of the terrorists on Die Hard. Yeah, and then his little toady helper guy is one of the main guys on Ally McBeal, who was mm-hmm. also in Dragon Slayer. Yes. Um, that guy's pretty funny. Yeah. In Ghostbusters 2? Yeah. I hey, can't that. think of his name off the top of my head, but he's... Why am I all the coverage with Scoop? <laughs> <laughs> the best part about Ghostbusters 2 is, oh, I need to put Oscar down. And then Bill Murray's like, uh, or Peter Rinkman's like, oh, I can I do it, please? Uh, you're short, you're fat, and your mama dresses you funny. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I think Ghostbusters 2 is the more enjoyable sequel of these two movies. Yeah. There is a great Key and Peel sketch that you can check out on YouTube on the brainstorming meeting for Gremlins 2 <laughs> that is really, really funny. I don't want to butcher it, but yeah, just go check that out. Okay. But it, you, get, you get a movie that's making fun of itself. But I've read, I haven't heard the man say it, but I've read that Joe Dante actually prefers Gremlins 2 to Gremlins 1. I, I don't know how that's possible. I heard him say that he doesn't understand at all why Gremlins 1 works. <laughs> He's like, why do people like it? I don't know. Uh-huh. It's weird. 
So they're both huge successes. They made tons of money. They were huge hits in 1984. They become icons that last for decades. I mean, you you see stuff still today. We you what was it Sprite Seven Up? One it was Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. That's it. Mountain Dew commercial has Billy and Gizmo in it. They're still talking about. I mean, I say they like Chris Columbus, Joe Dante. They're talking about Gremlins Three but they've been talking about it for seven or eight years now. One thing that they are all confident and steadfast on though is practical gremlins, like not going to do CGI unless absolutely necessary, which is great. We know that that works from Mandalorian, right? Give us the practical puppet. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Forget the stupid CGI. So, on the subject of Ghostbusters sequels, though, we get the women Ghostbusters of, what was it, 2017? Yeah. Even my daughter, my daughter who loves girl movies, is like, I, when I said, hey, you want to watch Ghostbusters? She goes, the boy one or the girl one? I right. The boy one. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll watch that one with you. I don't like the girl one. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It wasn't like the worst movie ever, but it wasn't great. I'm still waiting to see Ivan Reitman's son's new Ghostbusters movie. I can't wait until that comes out. Was that due in 2021? I- it was due in 2020, and they pushed it because of COVID. So Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to come out last year. It's due out now in November of this year. November 11th is when it's supposed to come out. It's directed by Jason Reitman, who is Ivan Reitman's son. He was also the kid in Ghostbusters 2 that tells Ray... My dad says Ghostbusters are full of crap. <laughs> so that's a nice little cameo. Good. Um, it's got the kid Finn Wolfhard, who's in Stranger Things, who's been doing, he's very popular right now. Yeah. I, I like Stranger Things. I thought he did a good job in that one. And But but it also has all of our key players, Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, all are in the movie and Annie Potts. Oh, nice. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what, though. We didn't even mention that Harold Ramis passed away, sadly, uh, and... 2014, I think. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. And we we didn't even talk about this. Like, he and Bill Murray went on to do several movies together, and then something happened in the making of Groundhog Day that led to them not being friends anymore. And I don't know what it was. And obviously, they ended up with a fantastic movie. Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's funny. But apparently, when Harold Ramis was, didn't have much time left, his daughter gave Bill a call, and Bill came, and they sat together with hours, mended, cried together, laughed together. And so it's really fortunate that they had the, they had the opportunity to do that. Yep. 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 Okay, it's time for Final Judgment. Okay. Where are you? Ghostbusters, Gremlins, two of the biggest of 1984. What do you got? Okay, so I watched Ghostbusters in the theater. I grew up drawing Moogly, you know, the ghost with the slash through it. I drew it all the time. I've probably watched it at least 20 times. It's iconic. The lines are amazing. I mean, there's, there's so many memorable lines. And Gremlins is good. It, but like Joe Dante, I, when I watch it, I'm not really sure how it was the success that it was other than Steven Spielberg's name appears on the script and you have some fun with these little monsters. But the, the effects in Gremlins are, they don't hold up to me. Like watching it now, I'm like, eh, I like the practical effects better than CGI, but I mean, you can almost see the wires in a lot of the stuff. And so I've got to go Ghostbusters like as a, pretty much landslide on this one. Gremlins is fun. It was cool to watch it with the kid, but 
Ghostbusters every day, all day. No question. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, so I, I think I told you, for me, Gremlins starts off as a horror movie, and it's super captivating. I'm super creeped out. And, oh, my gosh, they ate, and they, they sabotaged the clock, and so, oh, they ate after midnight, and now they make these weird, greasy, disgusting cocoons of what's going to come out of them. And then when they emerge, they're running around. I can hear them, but I can't see them. And it goes from a horror movie and then takes this right turn into what, to me, seems like the Muppet show, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you have gremlins with miniature guns and they're breakdancing and they're doing all these silly things. And then at the end, you have the super satisfying, they've captured them all, they blow them up. I, I remember in the movie theater when Stripe jumped into the pool, I was like, oh, no. Oh, oh dude. what are they going to do? Best special effect of the whole movie, by the way. Just the music. And we're talking about dry ice and a swimming pool <laughs> and some lights, right? Some Christmas lights. But that scene is intense. Best special effect of the movie. Go yes. Ahead. So as a whole, the movie I thought was very enjoyable. There's a middle part where I thought, man, this is really stupid. <laughs> and so I like I like Gremlins. I thought it was very enjoyable. Man. Okay. Now, flip over to Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters literally is one of the greatest comedies of all time. Yeah. And it may be one of the best movies in the 1980s. I mean, it, it's, it's, in the, it's in the discussion yeah. of the most enjoyable, comedic, fun movies in the 1980s. Yep. So for me, it's Ghostbusters by a landslide. Yeah. And that's not taking anything away from Gremlins. It's just, I mean, Ghostbusters is this iconic, unbelievably funny movie. And for me, it's just all Ghostbusters. Yep. Well, once again, I, we keep landing on the same page, man. What's happening to us? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens next week when we dive into Footloose and Purple Rain. So, you've got the podcast on. Look at your phone. Hit the little follow button. Hit the little subscribe button so that you are sure not to miss next week's episode. Hit us up on Facebook at ShirleyPodcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter at ShirleyPodcast.com. And thank you all for our fans who we've been communicating. It's been great. I ran into, I started talking to another guy on Facebook that it turned into a great relationship in a matter of 10 minutes of just talking, doing what we do, talking about the stuff that we love. So shout out to all of our fans on Facebook. Shout out to our Patreons. Shout out to our followers on Twitter. Thank you very much. We love talking to you guys as part of what we do. See you next week. See you next week. 